From 230 Euclid Avenue, I'm Mariah Humiston, and this is the Daily Orange Podcast. Today, an overview of the 2020 presidential election, how SU students felt at the polls, campus anxiety around uncertain results, and what SU professors did to help. It's Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. Breaking news, on Monday, November 9th, Syracuse University announced that classes will move fully online starting November 16th. The university has also announced that in-person student activities are paused on campus. We will cover this in the next podcast episode as more information becomes available in the next week. But for now, you can follow this developing story on the Daily Orange website. Hey everyone, Gail Phobes here. You may recognize my voice from last fall from this very podcast. I'm currently working with NBC News Specials. We're the team at the network that puts on election coverage. And as you can imagine, it's been quite busy this week. I'm joined by my good friend and even better election and politics guru, Anthony DeBundo. DeBundo is a senior staff writer for the DO Sports section, but among his other hats, he works for Decision Desk HQ a site that specializes on reporting election results. He is also an analyst on Citrus TV's Talking Points. We wanted to start off this special DO podcast, breaking down this whirlwind week in politics and what exactly it means for students and for Syracuse. So I I just want to get your takeaway here. So the two of us have been following this week really, really closely. And I know a lot of people were probably a little confused about Tuesday night's results and then how they translated. Let's just go through a timeline here. What did we see Tuesday night and how did it change as the week went on? We knew right away the first three big states to report were going to be Florida, North Carolina, and Ohio. And we thought Trump might have had a small edge in all of those. But when Florida comes in and he's winning it by more than he did in 2016, and then North Carolina, he's, he's ahead. And in Ohio, he's winning by more. There was a fear, and, and I thought myself for a second, that it looked like he was going to win again. Obviously, we did not have the votes out of the upper Midwest, kind of the Pennsylvanias and Michigans and Wisconsins. And we knew that they were going to skew very male heavy. But if you look at you know some of the betting markets, Trump was a big favorite at one point Tuesday night. But in the end, it, it came down to about Wednesday morning around 4 a.m. Milwaukee ballots came in and they were so skewed Democratic because of the mailers. It pushed Biden ahead in Wisconsin. We knew then pretty much that he was going to win Michigan. He was going to win Pennsylvania. Fox had already called Arizona. So at that point, you started to put the math together and you said, okay, he's probably going to win. Biden, that is. Yeah. And it's probably good for people to understand here. Running up to election night, there was a lot of conversation and probably a lot of students realize this, that there was a big difference between Democratic voters who were largely choosing to do mail-in ballots, Republican voters, the president was encouraging them to vote in person on election day. And this is kind of why we get this weird result on election night, or at least weird preliminary result on election night. And people were a little confused. Why is it that Biden is catching up through the days? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we start seeing a, a bit of a shift, don't we? Right. Those three states, the, the Pennsylvania, Mich- Michigan, and Wisconsin, all were not allowed to open any mailers until election morning. So they were not obviously able to process that many ballots that quickly compared to Florida and North Carolina, who were able to do it as they came in. So for weeks, they were processing ballots and they dumped them all right away. So we got a more balanced result as to what we were expecting, whereas in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, there were just millions of Democratic votes waiting to be tabulated. 
you know, it's important to note these were legally cast ballots on on or before Election Day that just had not been counted because of the process it takes to count a ballot. Exactly. And the way that I was describing it to a lot of friends and family, it's almost as if because so many Republicans chose Election Day to, to vote in person, so many Democrats chose mail-in ballots. It was almost as if you were counting all the Republican votes first and all the Democratic votes first when in, in a regular year, the pool of Election Day ballots that you're picking from in a regular year is usually pretty mixed. In this case, you're picking from two distinct piles here. Now, what did we see in terms of what these results meant coming out of, let's say, let's start with the Midwest and then maybe go down to to Arizona and Georgia and, and Nevada. What sort of demographic things are we seeing preliminarily here? Uh, what what sort of shifts can can we can we outline for people? Trump's base came out as strong as ever, if not stronger than 2016. And what we saw in, in the in the portions of Appalachia, whether it's Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, Indiana, Iowa, getting a little further west, they came out strong for Trump, and he even improved. But there's about a wall, and it is quite literally in Pennsylvania, the Appalachian Mountain Range, where once you get east of it and north, you get into the more secular, educated, liberal northeast, and that swung very hard towards Joe Biden. Northeastern Pennsylvania, Scranton, southeastern Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia suburbs all swung heavily towards Joe Biden. That's where he made up the difference. And the same thing happens for the suburbs of, of Detroit, the suburbs of Milwaukee, Trump lost a lot of votes there and really didn't have enough in the rural areas of those states to make up for it. Exactly. This was sort of a continuation of a trend that we saw in 2016 for those people that have sort of been hearing in the last four years, this there's a, a lot of conversation about college educated white voters beginning to shift away from the president and then blue collar white voters, people that, that used to be part of unions in the past blue collar workers that were traditionally sort of Democrats in the Midwest, shifting to the Republicans, shifting to President Trump, perhaps liking his populist message, perhaps liking him, his persona. But we see the shift. So if you look at a map, and the New York Times is a great example here for people that are interested, uh, it shows the arrows of places that, that went closer to the president, there in red, places that went closer to Democrats, and it's almost distinctly rural areas swung hard to Republicans, blue areas, being the suburban areas and the urban areas, or actually mostly the suburban areas here swung swung to the vice president, now president-elect Joe Biden. Now, just talking about some shifts here. Democrats have won the presidency. The thing that is surprising some people, they've had some losses in the House. Republicans have gained back a few seats. For some people uh, looking closely at, at the sort of Syracuse area district here, uh, John Katko and the incumbent Republican uh, brands himself as a, as a moderate Dana Balter, who ran in 2018, ran again this year. She has lost to CatCo. And, and what's particularly interesting about the Syracuse area district is this is a place where Joe Biden actually beat Donald Trump. It is also a place where Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump. However, they voted for a Republican congressman. When you see a, a district like this one, a district where you at the top of the ticket, you have people voting for a Democrat, a bit further down in the ticket, you have people voting for a Republican. Who are the people that are making that decision? It's a trend that used to be more popular. It is increasingly not as popular, but this year was surprising to some people because we, we see a bit of this difference. Who, who are those people? Yeah, I believe the number is going to be four after 20, 2020's elections. Four Republicans will represent people in districts that, that Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton carried in 2016. So Katko is one of the four. And he has that unique crossover appeal. He isn't the typical 
GOP member to that extent. He does vote against the party. He has the the brand of moderateness that he pushes. I think the kind of voter who is voting for Joe Biden but voting for John Kacko is probably a you know, you're not talking about your rabid political partisans here. You're talking about the average voter who tunes into politics every couple of years, doesn't really care, but likes people like Joe Biden, consensus builders, bipartisanship, those kind of things play really well in central New York. And in the end, you know, Kako's brand held off uh, a candidate in Balter who is very progressive and I don't know was the best fit for the district given what we know about Syracuse. Yeah, just just for students to take away here, of course, Joe Biden, as as a lot of people have, have seen online, the, the university's tweeted this out, the DO's done uh, multiple stories on, uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast will now have something in common with the president-elect, which is that the president-elect is a, a Syracuse alum. He went to Syracuse Law uh, back in the day. This election is, is, a, is an interesting one in that you have Joe Biden, not, not the graduate of an Ivy League school. You have Kamala Harris, the graduate of an HBCU. Kamala Harris herself is, is, a, is a groundbreaking candidate and, and now a groundbreaking vice president-elect, the, the first black woman, first uh, Asian-American woman, first woman ever to, to be in the position of vice president, or at least to, to be inaugurated soon as the vice president. It's good to keep in mind that, that changes at the top uh, do not necessarily make uh, all of the policy proposals, all of the things that, that you care about change. So I think that, that pretty much wraps it up here for just a, a broad overview. So Alexander Baharan was one of presumably hundreds, if not thousands, of Syracuse University students to cast their ballot in the presidential election, either on election day or, as was the case for many students this year, much earlier via absentee ballot. Alexander voted in person, as did many SU students at Huntington Hall and other polling places sort of near campus. What made Alexander's situation unique was that he from Puerto Rico, and this was his first time being eligible to vote in a presidential election. And he was, you know, very excited about that. He felt it was very important to go down and cast his ballot in person. And for a lot of SU students who did vote in person, that was the case. They, they felt it was important to sort of mark their first time voting or mark their time casting their ballot in such a pivotal presidential election. They wanted to do that in person, if nothing else, to lend it greater significance. My name is Chris Evansteel, and I'm the news editor for The Daily Orange. So Alexander was one of many college students this year voting in the 2020 election. How was voter turnout among college students? We do know that youth turnout, in fact, turnout across the board this year, both in Onondaga County and New York State and nationwide has reached record levels. In Onondaga County alone, we know that the voters in the county shattered a previous record from the 2008 election as far as total overall turnout. And nationwide, as it currently stands, we're recording this on Friday around 1 p.m., Joe Biden has received more votes than any other candidate in the history of the United States to become president of the United States, even though it remains a close election at this time. So there was a high turnout, not just for students, but for everybody. This was an election that stoked a lot of intense you know, emotions, stoked a lot of passions, and brought people to the polls in a way like never before. And especially for students with the expansion of early and mail-in voting options due to the coronavirus pandemic that made voting much more flexible, it definitely, you know, played a role in raising turnout. 
What did students that you and the Daily Orange staff spoke to have to say about local politics this election year? You know, I don't think a ton of students were as invested in local politics as they were in the presidential race. Obviously, I think that's the case in any presidential election year. But I think there were some students who were passionate about voting for Dana Balter and what she stands for as far as a more progressive shift in a congressional representative. But then again, a lot of students who turned out when we asked them who they were voting for, they told us which presidential candidate they were voting for. It was a presidential candidate that brought them to the polls, not necessarily a local candidate, which is the case for a lot of people. The Daily Orange staff also spoke to the chancellor this week about voting. Where was he when you spoke to him and what did he have to say? So there were two Daily Orange news staff members Three, I should say. Two of us were at the polls. One person was manning a laptop to get our interviews out and our posts out early when polls opened. I was at the Spiritual Newell Center, which is a polling site near South Campus. Maggie Hicks, who is our assistant news editor, was at SU's Huntington Hall, which is sort of the main polling site for Syracuse University students. We were both there around 5.45 a.m., right as polls were starting to open, as people were getting in line. And Chancellor Siverud was one of the first people to roll up to Huntington Hall. And Maggie caught him, I think, as he was leaving and got to speak with him. Didn't disclose who he was voting for. He did say, though, that this was an important election. And he felt it was important for SU students to cast their ballot. And he certainly made an example of that. Another interesting thing that happened at Huntington Hall, Chancellor Siverud, along with many other voters, were in line there for quite a while early in the morning because a broken ballot printing machine sort of held up the wait for quite a while. So that was sort of the first interesting twist of election day. What measures did Onondaga County take to make the election this year COVID safe? The COVID safety measures were pretty consistent everywhere. We had reporters mainly, again, focusing on the three polling places closest to Syracuse University, but we were also whether it was for class assignments or other things, very far flung out into different areas of the county. And regulations were pretty similar everywhere. We saw poll workers disinfecting voting booths after every use, disinfecting pens after every use, making sure people were wearing masks, making sure poll workers were supplied with masks and hand sanitizer. One poll worker I spoke with out in East Syracuse, a polling station in East Syracuse, said they actually had to have people partially fill out their ballots outside because they showed up without masks and they didn't have sufficient extras on hand at the time. So there were a lot of COVID safety measures in place. Voters we spoke to said they felt those were fairly effective. Almost every voter we talked to said that even if they understood there was a risk in voting, they felt safe casting their ballot, which is important given that we have seen an uptick in cases, not just across the country, but specifically in Onondaga County. I think it was important that voters felt safe casting their ballot. Another thing that we can't minimize is the role that early voting and absentee ballots, the expansion of mail-in ballots, played in making these elections or this year's in-person election safer for a lot of people. You know, many poll workers I spoke to and that our staff spoke to said part of the reason polling places weren't crowded was because so many people had cast their ballots early or mailed them in instead. And that allowed for shorter lines and less crowded polling places, especially on what was a very cold day when people would probably not have been too happy about standing outside to avoid crowding indoors in these polling places. Why did some students cast their ballots in Onondaga County over some of their home counties? 
Yeah, so some of the students we spoke to who chose to vote in Onondaga County rather than where they come from or where their home state were either because they were passionate maybe about a local candidate, felt that they were more closely tied to the Syracuse University community or the Syracuse community than they were to their home county, or they simply felt more secure voting in person. A lot of students said that they just couldn't hack mail-in voting and they felt uncertain that their ballot would be counted if they sent it in the mail, which is a very real concern for a lot of students. As reliable and as influential as mail-in voting has proved to be in this election, a lot of students were uncertain that their ballot would be counted if they sent it by mail. So they simply felt that they'd rather know that they'd have an influence in the central New York community rather than not be certain that they'd have one in their sort of home community. And finally, Chris, how did students say voting this election year made them feel? I think a lot of people across the country felt that this was a very important election for a lot of reasons. Again, we are in the midst of a national crisis and in the coronavirus pandemic, and the two candidates who are running have starkly different approaches about managing that crisis, as well as many other controversial, impactful issues. These are candidates that really are worlds apart in terms of the presidential election. And students felt like they needed to have a say in what direction this country heads. And they felt, I think, proud to be casting their ballots. They felt, you know, enthusiastic about going to the polls, many of them for the first time. And I think they were just satisfied for many of them who have watched the political climate for the last few years without being able to have a say in it, for the first time be able to cast their ballot and make their voices heard. And I think we have yet to see the statistics on just how much young voter turnout has impacted this election. I think we'll see that in the next few days. But, you know, a lot of Syracuse University students got to be part of that trend, whatever it looks like. Chris Hippensteel is the news editor for The Daily Orange. You can read the article, SU SUNY ESF students excited to cast ballots, feel safe voting in person on The Daily Orange website. Chris, as always, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, if you want to support great stories like the one you just heard, donate to The Daily Orange or join our membership program. As a nonprofit, every donation matters. To help, go to dailyorange.com slash donate. On election night, the two roommates were in their dorm and they weren't watching the live stream on TV, but they said they were multitasking, doing work and stuff, but they just were constantly going and checking the map and watching the states turn. And it was just seeing how slowly things were moving. They were very anxious, just very stressed. They knew they weren't going to have a result tonight and they were glad they were together, but it was definitely a hectic night for them as well as everyone else in America. I'm Sarah Alessandrini. I'm an assistant news editor at The Daily Orange. Why was there so much uncertainty around the election? With this election and with COVID-19, there's so many more absentee ballots than usual. So because of that, there's a delay. Normally on election night, you would know that night who the president was. But because so many states are still counting and so many states like gave up counting. I know Philadelphia literally just said like we're going to bed tonight, like at 10 p.m. Like we're not counting tonight. So we knew that we weren't going to have all the results, and pretty much every student I talked to as well knew that too. But still, so many people had told me that they stayed up late anyway and were watching. Like, they just couldn't help it. It's just what everyone's used to doing. 
And how did that uncertainty around both when they were going to get the election results and who was going to be president impact students on election night? And how did that uncertainty continue to affect them when there was still not a clear winner? It didn't even feel like there was an election the next day. It's almost like most students I talked to felt the same way that while on election night, they had all this anxiety and all this stress and they were just so like the uncertainty was just weighing down on them. They woke up the next morning and still didn't know who it was. But even as they were still waiting for the results and they knew it was going to be a while, they started to ease up the next day, but to the point that it almost didn't feel like the election was even happening. So it was just a very strange circumstance. And a lot of these students, too, it's their first time voting. So this is the first time they're experiencing a presidential election. And it's definitely unusual compared to previous years. And now, Sarah, on campus, we have a lot of political student organizations, specifically SU College Republicans and SU College Democrats. What did the people that the Daily Orange spoke to from these organizations say about the election? And what was their reaction to this ongoing uncertainty around the winners? Rody Conway, he's the leader of College Republicans, and he said he was actually surprised that Trump was so far ahead, even though he was College Republicans. But he seemed pretty certain that most of the states were going to flip blue and that Biden was ultimately going to be the winner. And same for College Democrats. David Bruin, he's the communications director for College Democrats, and he had pretty much said the same thing, even with a little more certainty, that he has no doubt that Biden's going to take the presidency and he's going to win. Both College Democrats and College Republicans said, you know, with the absentee ballot voting, it's just such an anomaly, like such a strange election this year that we really don't know and we really can't be certain how things are going to flip or what's eventually going to happen. The Daily Orange spoke with SA President Justine Hastings about this particular election, and she talked about the significance for students. Can you elaborate on what she told the Daily Orange? Justine Hastings had mentioned the importance of this election, that a lot of students who feel very passionately about all the issues going on in our country felt like this particular election was so important to vote in, and it was it's very significant. The outcome is going to have a huge impact on a lot of students' rights and their lives. And she kind of talked about how because of that, you know, it's very stressful for a lot of students too. Even just from my interviews with like just talking to kids, it was pretty obvious. Like we have a very politically active campus. Everyone feels very strongly and they're all very passionate about what they believe in. So it's a lot. It's taking a toll on a lot of students' mental health. And so Justine had touched on that a little bit as well. Just making sure students are taking care of themselves. And it's tough because this election is so drawn out that the uncertainty is not just all in one night. It's looming over us for this week. And even though students had told me they were able to calm down a little bit the day after the election and move on and take their classes, it's like I feel like everyone is just trying to do their homework, but then they keep going to the map and trying to see, like, the Georgia flip. Is Georgia still over? Like, Justine had talked about that a little bit, too, just trying to remind students, you know, make sure we take care of ourselves this week and... You know, we'll know when we know. There's only so much we can do. And Sarah, beyond just concerns about the winner of the election, the president of SU's NAACP also had concerns about how the election was being conducted. Tell me about some of those concerns. Her concerns were about voter suppression. There has been a sort of rhetoric against the mail-in voting, saying that it's going to lead to voter fraud or that it's not accurate. The president himself has spoken out against mail-in voting, saying it wouldn't work. That could cause a lot of stress for a lot of students, like a lot of those lawsuits against certain states to stop counting or just doubts about the legitimacy of mail-in ballot counting, which hasn't even been proven that that's 
possible that mail-in ballots can cause those kind of issues. So that's something that a lot of people are concerned about. It's easier to push voter suppression this election more than ever because of the amount of increased mail-in votes. I mean, we're all voting by mail. We're college students. Vast majority are voting by absentee. And it's been like that for years, honestly, even with a lot more people mailing in ballots from home just because of concerns for COVID. This is how college students have always done it. So it's inaccurate to say that there is any issue with mail-in voting because it's been done for years. And that's coming from actually, I interviewed the uh, Board of Elections Commissioner for a different story, and that's what he even told me. So that's her concern too. It's a pretty valid concern because a lot of people are pushing that narrative that mail-in voting isn't going to work. So it's important that students do keep that in mind that, you know, their vote will be counted. Everything will be okay. No need to stress about that. What did she say students should strive for during and after this election? Even after this election, students should still continue to strive for positive change and combat injustice. So regardless of the outcome, the issues pressing America right now are still going to be out there. It's important to vote in local elections as well, because that also makes a difference, a significant difference on the local level. You don't realize how important that is. So she said she's hoping that You know, there was a whole increase in voter turnout this year because of mail-in ballots, but also because young people just want to get out there. It's like Justine Hastings said, students feel so passionate about America and the issues that are facing all of us this year that so many people just wanted to get out and vote, which is great. But it's also important from what my sources have told me, NAACP president had said, she hopes that students continue this energy, that continue this energy of getting out and voting even after. After the presidential election, that they continue to vote in local elections, that they continue to strive for change and educate themselves, that, you know, we keep the momentum going is very important. Sarah Alessandrini is an assistant news editor for The Daily Orange. You can read the article, Students Anxiously Await Final Election Results the Day After Polls Close, on The Daily Orange website. Sarah, as always, thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I think the choice for a lot of people was about more than just the election. The election was kind of one factor of many. Uh, For a lot of people, you know, having online classes and dealing with the stress of the pandemic and ongoing racial injustice in America, there's a lot like happening for many of these students. And for a lot of people, they feel very personally affected by the election, right? Like the turnout of the election means things for their safety, the rights they'll have, things like that. So a lot of professors thought that they would take their students' lead to kind of see what would be best for them in class following election day. I'm Michael Sessa, and I'm an assistant news editor at The Daily Orange. Can you tell me a little bit about how Sarah Mirajelli structured her class during this election week? I think they really focused on giving their students a choice So ahead of the election, they posted some questions to Blackboard asking their students what they'd like to do. So the options were to just proceed with class as usual, make class optional, use class as a time to talk. And that's ultimately what students chose. They wanted to come to class and be able to have a space to kind of talk to each other and their professor about the election. And has she normally done this for classes that fall on election day? She didn't say. But I think for most people, this is like a first time thing. 
she, for example, brought up that, you know, she's been teaching for over 15 years through multiple elections. And this is the first time that students have really responded the way they have to this election. For her, at least, that was indicative of needing to take some greater action because students were definitely more concerned and impacted by this election than they have been by ones in the past. What about the assignments for her class? How is she doing given the impact of this election on students? Yeah, so she's done what many professors have done this year, especially around election times, and then just being more flexible. She was saying that in planning her election day classes, she realized there was an assignment due uh, towards the end of this week. So she made some adjustments to make sure there was more flexibility in terms of due dates and handing that in to make sure students were in the mindset to really be doing quality work. And Michael, Professor Jen Greigel also structured their class differently this week. What did they do to try to support students during this time? Jen Greigel is a professor who focuses on social media, particularly things like BuzzFeed and memes, and really about like community building across digital platforms and social media. So they decided to take their BuzzFeed class. So this is a class that that coordinates with BuzzFeed, so students produce content that's actually posted to the website. And it's been meeting online this semester. And they decided that the class would meet outside together in person in the park, socially distanced, and kind of do some arts and craftsy kind of stuff. Professor Greigel bought with some grant money they'd received supplies for friendship bracelets and adult coloring books, which at first can seem like, what are we doing? This is college. But First, it's a good way to de-stress, right? Like students need to kind of take a rest this week. But it also does connect to the stuff they're, they're actually talking about in class. So one of the things Professor Greigel talked about was getting feedback from students who are remote in cities other than Syracuse and making them bracelets so they could send them. And that sort of communication uh, across platforms and across areas is, is really sort of what the class gets at. What did SDC Parker, a professor of writing, studies, rhetoric, and composition, say about her choice for her class structure this week? Professor Parker just followed the lead of many professors in being more flexible with due dates and things like that. And I think probably made the very, very good point that you could still maintain high expectations while you're flexible. So I think there's been some pushback from like parents or members of the community who look at this sort of stuff and they say, like, you know, why are we coddling people? Why are we doing all this stuff for college students? And Professor Parker made the point that, you know, any of her students would tell you that they have really high expectations for them in class. So she won't compromise on those expectations, but she could compromise on how to achieve those outcomes, I guess. Overall, why did the professors you spoke to adapt their class structure for this election week? Primarily what I heard is that this election week means a lot for many people. And that's just not some like subjective, abstract, emotional state for many of these people, but it's legitimate. There's, you know, the data to back up that for many of these people, the election will have profound impacts on the way they and their families and their communities and the people they know go about their lives. And that can cause a lot of stress and anxiety. But it also, in many cases, directly correlates with what 
college students are talking about in their classes, the sort of questions professors want students to be asking. So taking a moment to kind of back up from this like academic grind uh, to talk about how these things apply to to life and, and to the country in general has been productive. Beyond just this election, this year has had a lot of circumstances that can create added stressors on students. What did professors say about the circumstances around the election that made it particularly stressful? Well, first and foremost, like it comes on the back of an anxiety-ridden year for many students, especially Syracuse University students. Many of the professors I talked to made the point that it's been more than a year dating back to like October of last year since there's been a, a relatively normal week on this campus, right? Like things erupted last November with racist graffiti all over campus and ongoing protests and, and sit-ins that continued into the spring. And then we got sent home and we've been in the the trenches with this pandemic since then. So in addition to all of that stuff that's been happening on campus, the election itself brings all of these issues to the forefront. One professor described it as a perfect storm, all these factors coming together that really make it untenable to proceed with class as normal. And what advice did some of the professors you spoke to have for students going through what has been a very long and very stressful election? I think most professors kind of took cues from the stuff they study to provide some advice. So Professor Greigel talked about finding your people, right? Like building a community around you, finding your your VIPs. They said trusted circles of people that you could go to to, to talk about things. And and furthermore, finding trusted sources of news and, and information to kind of tone down the anxiety. And then some other professors Professor Anderson, who's a philosophy professor, talked about hope and and vigilance. So this idea that you could be hopeful and, and strive for a more inclusive community through you know sustained effort, sustained vigilance, and and that can provide you hope uh, and and a reasonable hope, one that's actually uh, attainable. Michael Sessa is an assistant news editor. You can read his article, Some Professors Cancel Class, Adjust Plans to Reduce Election Day Stress, on the Daily Orange website. Michael, as always, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. A special thank you to Gael, Anthony, Chris, Sarah, and Michael. Thanks executive producer and podcast editor Elizabeth Kama, and to our producers Kylie Herlehy, Catherine Ito, and Adam Garrity. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next Tuesday.